everybody, this is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. And today we're doing uh, Old Time Radio, our Old Time Radio grab bag number 13. So this is the 13th time we've put a, together a compilation of shows like this. And here's what I do. I normally every day play, uh, on Monday I play a comedy, on Tuesday we, we play a drama, on Wednesday we play a uh, mystery, on Thursday we play a western. But there's a lot of shows that don't fall into those categories, and there's a lot of shows that really aren't all that popular, or they didn't have long runs, or whatever. And I have a lot of these shows. I've got many, many thousands of shows in my, in my archives, and a lot of them just never get the opportunity to be played. So as I'm listening to shows from, you know, during the weeks and stuff, I will uh, hear something I like and I'll throw it in the grab bag. And then some of the shows have been in there for a year or more, two years, three years. So I don't even remember exactly what was so special about them. And I don't necessarily listen to them before I present them in, um, you know, in a grab bag show like the one that you're going to listen to today. In fact, I have not listened to any of these shows today. Um, within probably a year. But I had them in there and I was—I told myself they were worth playing, so that's what we're going to do. We have, uh, for our lineup today, we have an episode of a show called The Whisperer. We have a Rudy Valley show from 1946 with Eve Arden as the guest. We have an episode of You Bet Your Life with Groucho Marx and a very surprise young guest on that one and then we're going to finish things up with a great Western on the Sears Radio Theater, which was um, a 1979 show, and it's entitled Abilene. Pretty good lineup, I think. Now, re remember, I haven't listened to these. I don't edit them. I try to improve the sound if I can. I do not go in and cut out the commercials. I don't... Um, uh, I just don't really do anything to them. I just want to make sure they sound good enough uh, t for you to understand them on the radio without a lot of static and that sort of thing. So, all right. So what you see is what you get. So we're going to start off in just a minute with this week's old time radio grab bag. It's grab bag number 13. Okay, to start things off, we're going to listen to an episode of The Whisperer, which was a radio show in 1951 that was a summer replacement show. And apparently, the, there was only 13 episodes. It played on Sunday afternoons. And um, it was an NBC show. It was based on stories by Dr. Stetson Humphrey and his wife, Irene. And the tone of the show was often tongue-in-cheek and satirized radio crime dramas of the day. I'm going to tell you, I did not know anything about The Whisperer. I found this one in my files that I had downloaded or purchased someplace along the line. And so I thought, well, maybe this will be a pretty good, pretty good show to listen to, The Whisperer. It sounds kind of like The Whistler. The episode we're going to listen to was broadcast on September 9th, 1951. 
and it is uh, the episode title is Woman on Ice. So let's listen to The Whisperer, starring Carlton Young. The Whisperer, a brilliant man who, losing his voice in an accident which crushed his vocal cords, worked his way deep within the crime syndicate to help destroy it from within. To the underworld, his familiar rattling hiss is the voice of authority, to be obeyed without question. Then a miracle of surgery performed by Dr. Benjamin Lee restored his natural voice enabling him to resume his real identity. Now, as Philip Gault, aggressive young attorney, he skirts the thin edges of death, living his dual role. For as the whisperer, he sets in motion the forces of the syndicate in Central City. Then, as Philip Gault uses his knowledge to fight the organized network of crime, which seeks to control the fate of millions in cities and towns across the nation. in Dr. Lee's office, we find Ellen Norris, the doctor's nurse and the only other person besides the doctor who knows of Phil's dual identity, watching anxiously as Phil, speaking in the voice of the whisperer, makes his report to a superior in the syndicate. Hello, New York. Slade, given instructions, will report progress. Now. That's right, Ellen, now. What does it mean, Phil? You mean specifically? I don't know. It's designed to set something in motion right now. Someone's murder. When the syndicate gives that kind of an order, it usually is, means at least one murder. And you had to pass the instructions on. Just another indication how the syndicate works, Ellen. One hand never knows what the other hand is doing. This Slade is probably from out of town. He has his instructions already. All he was waiting for was the word to start. I had to give it to him. Every other time, Phil, you had a lead of some kind to help. You knew who the victim was, you knew what was going to happen, and, and you could do something about it. But now... Yes, I... What are you doing, Phil? The only lead I have is the telephone number where I reached Slade. But how are you... The phone company won't give it to me, but the police can get the address. Lieutenant Denver? Mm-hmm. Excuse me, honey. A uh, homicide, please. I have an idea the lieutenant's already suspicious of your extra-legal activities, Phil. How long... Uh, hi, Lieutenant... Need a favor. Uh-huh. I've got a phone number. I need the address. Cheshire, 1789. That's right. Uh, no, it's just a little checking on a client. Yeah, I'm at Ellen's office. Thanks. He must be in a good mood. The lieutenant's plenty smart, Ellen. He knows I wouldn't want the address for any reason that might kick back. Little does he know. In this case, what he doesn't know might save him some grief. If you can stop whatever it is from happening. Yes, if... Uh, sweetheart, uh-huh. it's kind of late, and I'm going to be on the move pretty soon. How's about meeting you later for supper? You can get a sandwich now, maybe take a show or something, and then I'll join you. Well, it's past dinner time already, and you haven't had anything to eat since lunch. I know. I'm starving. Well, then... And every time I have an appointment with you for dinner, it's always delayed anywhere from three to five hours. Do you see what I mean? 
The best thing right now is for you to grab a bite and meet me later. Consequently, since I'm a creature of habit, I've got myself into the habit of irregular dinner hours. Now's your chance to get regular. I'm staying with you. But don't you... No, but I'd be wondering about what was happening all the time. Ruin my digestion. I'm with you, lover. No, wait a minute. Hello? Oh, yes. Hello, Lieutenant. Uh-huh. Yes, I know where that is. Uh-huh. Well, thanks. I'll split my fee with you on this case. Got the address? Yes. You're not very happy about it. Well, it isn't a house. It isn't listed under any name. It's the Lyceum Theater. A pay station backstage. Oh? Coming? With you, lover. Phil, Romeo and Juliet. Well, that would be a nice way to spend an evening in the theater. Maybe it'll be more entertaining backstage. Not that I don't think you're brilliant, darling, but just how are you going to get any information if that phone was a pay station? Seems to me this job's just about hopeless. Just about hopeless for the somebody on the other end, too, Ellen. We've got to try. Here we are. Let me do the talking. Don't I always? Hello, old-timer. We're looking for someone. Figured that. Who? Fellow by the name of Slade. Slade? That's right. Don't know any Slade. Not connected with the company? Nope. Can anybody come off the street and use that payphone on the wall over there? Nope. Anybody use it in the last half hour? Nope. Oh, say, wait a minute. Yeah, there, there was somebody come along with Judy. Hung around the phone right around 7.30. When it rang, he answered it. Just was for him, all right. I see. You say he came in with Judy? Uh-huh. Can we speak to her? Well, if you want to wait around, you probably can. She went out about five minutes ago. Went out? With the man who answered the phone? A minute after. She asked me which way he went, and she went out. Kind of in a hurry, too. And she's due on the stage in about 15 minutes. If she don't get back quick, they'll probably have to use her understudy. I see. Uh, you don't know where she went, do you, old-timer? Well, she lives across the street and down a block. Hathaway's. Hathaway's? Second-hand furniture store. Her uncle owns it. Leaving quarters upstairs. She lives there now to be near the theater. Thanks. Uh, but she ain't there. Oh? Leastways, she's not answering the phone there. Doville, the director, called and got no answer. Well, thanks. Let's go, Ellen. Hathaway's. Here it is. How do you do? Mr. Hathaway? Vladimir Hathaway, at your service. Uh, we're looking for a young lady by the name of Judy. Oh, why, uh, Judy's at the theater down the street. She's appearing in Romeo and Juliet. But I don't think you'll be able to speak to her, not until she's off stage. Well, she's not there. She came home. Uh, she does live here. Uh, why, of course. Uh, Judy's my niece. Of course she lives here, uh, upstairs. But she isn't home. I'd know if she were. Uh, she left here almost an hour ago. And didn't come back? Uh, no, no, of course not. Oh. Quite a shop you have here. Uh, thank you. Uh, could I interest you in some furniture? I, I have a dining room set that's almost new right over no, here. No, thanks. A lounge chair? Most comfortable thing in the world. Well, we'll think of you when we set up housekeeping. Oh, I, I thought you were... Married? Not yet. Uh, Judy has a friend by the name of Slade, hasn't she? Slade? Why, uh, 
Not that I know of. You know anybody by that name? No, no, I... Well, I don't think we can do any good here, Alan. Is something wrong with Judy? For a loving uncle, you finally came around to getting concerned. I don't know if anything's wrong. But if anything is wrong, I would like to know. We're trying to reach a fellow by the name of Slade, and Judy apparently knows him. Oh, I see. Perhaps uh, one of her active friends. I don't know them all. It's hard to keep track of... Phil! I heard it. I beg pardon. That was a shot. Where's the stairway to the upstairs? A shot? That's right. Where is it? I, I am a little hard of hearing, but what kind of shot you... Pistol, if I'm not hard of hearing, where's the stairs? But if it's a shot... Stop stalling, Hathaway. Ellen, try that door. Here, Phil. Yes, through that door and up the stairs to drive. It was a shot, Phil. I know. Through here, Ellen. <laughs> I did it. Phil, on the floor. I see him. Phil? He's dead. I shot him. Better let me have the gun, Judy. I shot him. Slade? I, I shot him. All right, you shot him. Is his name Slade? Yes. Better give me the gun, Judy. No. Come on, Judy. No. What's happened? Judy, where's Dave? Stay away. All of you, get back. You can't run away. Stay back. Quick after her. Locked. Come on, Hathaway, a little help here. Come on, let's go. Let's try this one. Locked, too. Any other way out, Hathaway? What? Any other way out? Uh, yes, uh, through that back door, but it opens on an alleyway. Oh, it doesn't matter. She's gone by this time. What's this room? What do you do here, behind the showroom? I, I do stone cutting, a hobby. They're gone. Gone? What's gone? My diamonds. You cut diamonds for a hobby? David. David took them. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's the second time David's cropped up. Who's David? He must have taken them. All right, now, who is David? They they were going to get married. David and Judy. All arranged. When the show closed, get married. Were they here when we came in? Yes. Upstairs with, with Judy. And Slade? Yes. You lied to us then? Yes. I was afraid... Slade came in and started talking to me about buying some furniture, just waiting. And then Judy came running in, and they both went upstairs. David was there. Not when we got there. How did he get out? Probably hiding right in this room here when we went upstairs. All right, Mr. Hathaway. You better call the police. Police? Oh, yes. The diamonds... No, Hathaway. The dead man. Homicide. Yes. Yes, Judy shot him. That's right. But he had a gun in his hand, Hathaway. It was probably self-defense. Hello, New York. Central City reporting. Our man Slade has been killed.
use every available man. Find Judy Forrest. She will lead you to me. Come on, sit down, Phil. No, thanks. What's wrong, Phil? You look at Operation X-22. What's that? A dragnet. A syndicate dragnet. For Judy? Uh Uh-huh. Poor frightened kid. To to kill her? Her and David Clark. Why? If I knew that, I'd probably understand a lot of things, Ellen. Like why Hathaway is such a confounded liar. What chance does she have, Phil? None. What are we going to do? Try to find her before the syndicate does. Try to find her. All right, Phil. Finish your sandwich. Mm-mm. I've just lost my appetite. You are listening to The Whisperer, the story of Philip Galt, who skirts the thin edges of death, living his dual role. Dragnet, not a police dragnet, but a syndicate dragnet, more deadly, more vicious, with orders to shoot on sight. Philip Galt, in his guise as the whisperer, has passed along the syndicate's orders. And now, without knowing where Judy Forrest is, he must protect her from the dragnet he himself set in motion. Seems like such a hopeless task, finding Judy. We have one lead, Hathaway. Seems like such a bewildered kind of man, Phil. Much too bewildered. What do you mean? Those diamonds of his, for one thing. What about them? Diamonds in a broken-down place like that? And first he said they were his stones, a hobby. Then he said it was part of a job and they belonged to someone else. No, Ellen, something's wrong there. You didn't have to take the car if you wanted to go back to a store, Phil. You're going past it now. Uh-huh. Why? In case the store is being watched. By whom? The syndicate, Ellen. This is a logical place for them to pick up a lead, too. We just walk in off the street, we look like customers. We drive up, they take special notice of us and the car. Oh. We'll park down here and walk back. Phil, any ideas why Judy shot that slave fellow? None. Or how David is mixed up in it? No, but I can take a guess. Okay, what's your guess? My instructions to Slade were now... That's right. We find Slade in Judy's apartment. Therefore, whatever Slade was going to do, it had something to do with Judy or... David. Yes. And Hathaway said David and Judy were going to be married. Mm-hmm. And Slade was probably going to kill one of them. Maybe both. Oh, all right, so far. Now, what about the diamonds? What about David taking them? That's something I can't even guess about. Here we are. Can I help you? I thought the police would be here by now, Hathaway. Police? You know, the body upstairs. Body? Upstairs? I don't understand. Oh, so that's the way you want to play. Ellen. Yes, Phil? Take a look up there. All right. You you must be mistaken. There is no, no body upstairs. I can't understand what you mean. Who took it away? You must excuse me. I'm very busy. And what about the diamonds that were stolen? Reported that yet? Diamonds stolen. I have no diamonds. Now, please, I, I don't know what that young woman is looking for. In don't you, Hathaway? Uh, 
my, my thigh. You're choking. A woman's life is at stake, Hathaway. No, he's not there. There's nobody upstairs. I know. Well, Hathaway. What do you want? Where's Judy? I don't know. What do you know, Hathaway? Do you know the syndicate has a dragnet out for her? No, I don't. Oh, yes, yes. I don't know where she is. They will kill me. They will. Who will? The syndicate. The diamonds. Cutting them up and passing them along. Part of the syndicate. A small link in the chain. David. What about him? He stole them from me. I'm responsible for them. I don't know what they'll do to me now. What about Slade? I don't know about him. David, part of the syndicate, wanted to quit. Judy wanted him to quit so they could get married. She didn't want him involved in... So Slade came around to kill David? Yes. And Judy shot Slade to prevent him from killing David? Yes, yes, please. Please, you've got to protect me. They came and took Slade away. They must be watching this place. They, maybe even now, they know you are here. They know I've talked to you. Where's Judy? I, I don't know. I swear to you, I don't know. And David? You are... You are not with the syndicate. I'm trying to help Judy. Yes. I don't know where he is. But I can tell you where he lives. Where? 1677 Cedar Lake Drive. Have you told anybody else? No, no. Didn't they ask you? I told them I did not know. David is a good boy, really. I don't want his life on my conscience. And Judy? Maybe she's there with him. She's my niece. Really, she is. I love her. I love her like she was my own child. Comes out in the night, out of all the dirty, rotten cesspools. The slimy things, arms and tentacles of the octopus syndicate. Touching a good kid, touching a girl whose only sin is to love someone caught in their web. Please, you, you can't do anything. You can't stop them. You don't know them. When they start out to do something... They finish it. Yeah. Well, what about those stones? Why'd David take them? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe because he wanted to hit back at them. Still, let's hurry. They will be following. We'll go out the back way. Our car is parked in the next street. We'll go through the alley. After, I give the police an anonymous tip. Well, is it clear, Ellen? Does it begin to make sense? Yes, Phil. David wanted out. He wanted to quit the syndicate, and they wouldn't let him. Afraid he might inform on them. So they had Slade waiting and ready. And the whisperer said, now. And Slade went after David at Judy's place. Only Judy shot Slade first. Yes, it makes sense. It makes sense another way, too. How? What happens when the whisperer quits? He won't. I got a dragnet out for him, too. He won't quit. Not until the whole organization is exposed and destroyed. And what happens when they find out the whisperer is really Phil Gold? They won't find out. Oh, you're always so positive. You're always so sure. But one day you'll make a slip, or they'll begin to suspect. All they have to do, Phil, just suspect that Phil Gold is a whisperer. Now, uh, this is Cedar Lake Drive. Can you spot some of the numbers? You haven't even been listening. Yes, I have, Ellen. Uh, where are we? 1400 block. And it's but... two streets down. Uh, reach around behind you, sweetheart, and take out that package, will you? Yeah, that's it. What is it? Open it. That's right. I'm going to pull up here. We'll walk the rest of the way back. But what is this, Phil? Strings, rubber bands, elastic? Attached cute, to... isn't it? There's nothing cute about a gun. That's a twenty-five. A toy. A toy that can kill. Here. I'm going to put it on under my jacket. But what are all those rubber bands and things? Well, that was originally designed for a card shop, Ellen. 
You know, to drop aces out of a sleeve at the propitious moment. Oh, but the gun? That's my refinement. Instead of having an ace up my sleeve, I've got a 25. All I have to do is drop my hand fast and the gun falls into my palm. An ace, too. An ace of spades. Phil. I want you to stay here. No. This might be dangerous. I want you to stay here. No. Please, honey. No. All right. We've got to hurry. I don't think we've been followed over here. It has shown up by now. Maybe we can get there before the shooting starts. That's why you've strapped on that contraption. Just precautions. Uh-huh. That's how certain you are you'll be able to get out of this without shooting. Buildings are fire traps, Phil. Converted to rooming houses. Yes? Oh, David Clark in. How am I supposed to know? You think I keep track of all the people who go in here day in and day out? I'll never get any of my work done. If you'll just tell us what apartment he's in. Apartment? (laughs) Upstairs. When you get to the top floor, there's a stairway to the attic. That's his apartment. Thank you. Thank me for nothing. Just keep the place decent. No hijinks, parties, and loud music. I got other rumors to think about. I can't allow Yes, of course. Uh, Thank you. So far, so good. If he's up there, if they haven't found out... And Judy? She's probably with him. That's why I think they're here. Hold up. Good to work off a heavy dinner. What dinner? (laughs) Shall I knock? Well, what do we do? Just go in. Nobody home. Well, it appears the birds have flown. Hold it. Don't turn around. I've got a gun. Oh. It's quite a trick, hiding behind the door so when it's open it conceals you. That's the second time you've done that, Clark. Judy, see if they're on. All right, Jane. For shoulder holsters, jacket pockets, hip pockets. No, he isn't. All right, go through her purse. Excuse me. It's perfectly all right. You don't have to be polite, Judy. Just throw it. Yes. There's nothing here. All right. Back across the room, both of you. What are you trying to do, David? Who are you? My name is Gall. What do you want? How do you fit in this? I happen to be following a man by the name of Slade. Knew him a long time ago. A hoodlum, murderer, part of the syndicate. What do you know about the syndicate? Enough, David. Enough to know that anyone who gets wound up with the syndicate has taken a step he can't take back. Enough to know that if they mark someone for death, there's usually no escape. There'll be an escape this time. Not if you go about it this way. I'm here to try to help you. I don't need any help. Now, that's silly. Yes. Please, can you help? Tell him to put that gun away. Dave, please. No, Judy, no. This might be just con on his part. I'm not taking any chances. You took all your chances when you worked for the syndicate. I'm not working for them now. No, you're not. Where are the diamonds, David? You know an awful lot about me and the syndicate and the diamonds. Now, what else do you know? Just one thing that makes any sense. Phil. Take it easy, lady. Outside in the street, a car. It's them. You brought the whole mob. They didn't follow me. How else could they get here? I found out from Hathaway. Don't you think they might have found out, too? Yeah, that's right. Well, David, what are you going to do? Oh, they wouldn't let me quit. Well, I'll see they don't get their lousy diamonds. I'll see to that. The dirty, rotten murders, I'll make them pay. And Judy? What about Judy? Will she pay, too? Oh, Judy. David's my fault. No, Judy, Judy. I'm coming into the house. Judy... Darling, this whole rotten mess, it's my fault, but I can't get away. Rick, David, what are you going to do? They're coming up the stairs. I'll show you what I'm going to do. You! Me? What do you want with Ellen? She's coming out with me. Oh, sure, I'm going to get it, but I'll get a few of them first, and you're going to help. You're going to be my shield. No, David. Hold on, David. You hold on. All right, sister, come on. That's your syndicate training coming through, David, but you're not taking Ellen with you. No, who's going to stop me? 
Walker doesn't mean anything to me not to plug you now, too. Now, off you the hands. Up! All right, Debbie. Well, where did you get that gun? Judy, get back. Here. Judy, the diamonds. Keep them. David! Get back! Okay, suckers! David! 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 Judy, I, I made him pay. David, David. Easy, Judy, easy. Would have been a miracle. You can't run away from the syndicate. And you can't run away from the police. Still a police car. I guess they took that anonymous tip. What's going on up here? Now, who are these dead men? They're blocking my doorway. I told you I run a respectable place and I don't want any trouble with the police. I'm afraid you're going to have some. Well, I'm going to call them. I don't want a bad name on my place. You're too late on both counts. Killing, shooting. It'll take a week to get this place cleaned up. Phil, what about Judy? The syndicate won't bother her anymore, but the police will want to question her. But the instructions to find Judy. To lead them to David. Oh. Judy... He was a good boy. He was. Got mixed up with him. He wanted to quit. Once you're in, there's only one way out. They took Hathaway in for questioning? Yes, in a prison term. And the two syndicate mugs that ran off in the car were killed in a gunfight with the police. You know, Denver's added it all up pretty good for someone who wasn't in on the thing. Slade and four other members of the syndicate, dead. David, dead. Hathaway, a fence for stolen diamonds. And where did that lead Judy? Well, the police have the diamonds, so the syndicate won't be interested in her anymore. I had a little talk with her. Oh? While your back was turned. You know, sweetheart, she's a real trooper. Yes, I think she'll get over this. I'm sure she will. I've got her out on bail. You've got her out? Uh Uh-huh, I'm going to be handling her case. You know, being an attorney comes in handy at times. Especially when you can have such attractive clients. Hmm? Oh? Is she attractive? I didn't notice. Why, Phil Galt, you may have been busy tonight, but you weren't blind. (laughs) You sound jealous, Ellen. Worried about my conferences with my new clients? As long as you keep them during business hours, no. Well, as a matter of fact, I have a conference scheduled for 11.30 tomorrow night. Oh. Backstage at the Lyceum Theater, after the performance of Romeo and Juliet. Thought you might like to see it. Why not? Tis better to have seen Romeo and Juliet than never to have loved at all. <laughs> Hello, New York. Central City reporting. Mission accomplished. David. upon stories and characters created by Stetson Humphrey. Any similarity to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. Carlton Young is starred as the whisperer, Betty Moran is Ellen. 
Others in the cast were Sidney Miller, Stacey Harris, Ralph Moody, and Michael Ann Barrett. The Whisperer was written by Jonathan Twice, produced and directed by Bill Karn. Original music by Johnny Duffy. This is Don Rickles inviting you to listen next week to another exciting adventure with... That was The Whisperer, as originally broadcast on September 9th, 1951. The name of that was Woman on Ice. Next, we have an episode of The Rudy Valley Show, which was first broadcast on September 24th, 1946. His guest on this is Eve Arden. Of course, Rudy Valley goes way back on radio, even in the 20s and introduced a a number of stars. His show was on for many, many, many years. This show was from 1946, so this was toward the end of the run. Here's Rudy Valley Show with Eve Arden. Johnny, ladies and gentlemen, in his red coat and brass buttons. Johnny, friendly ambassador for Philip Morris, America's finest cigarette. Tonight, Johnny presents the new Rudy Valley Show. Spotlighting this week, the lovely star of radio and motion pictures, Miss Eve Arden, and the new French singing star, Charles Trenet. There's no time like our time and no one like you. Everybody, this is Rudy Valley. Tonight, I have a date with the lovely star, Eve Arden. And she's coming over here. Oh, I'm so happy I could sing. Happy I could sing? Rudy, you just threw yourself a cue. Sweet music makes a rainy day seem clear again. It brings you near again. Sweet music makes a bitter word grow sweet again. Two hearts can beat again in harmony. We've learned to sing a song in spring, and yet, if I forget it by December, will you remember? Sweet music makes the same old story new again I bring to you again my song We've learned to sing a song in spring and yet if I forget by December will you remember 
makes the same old story new again. I bring to you again my Operator, please get me Miss Eve Arden and hurry, please. Hello? Hello, Eve, darling. Hello, who is this? It's your dream boy, Rudy. Which Rudy? Well, how many Rudys do you know? Well, there's Rudy Dingle, Rudy Glanch, Rudy Crumbnuckle. Now, wait a minute, I'll give you a hint. Just listen. My time is your time. There. Oh, of course, it's Rudy Crumbnuckle. <laughs> Eve, this happens to be Rudy Valley. Oh. Tell me, you haven't forgotten about our date for tonight, have you? Oh, indeed not, Rudy. At what time will you stop by for me? Well, that's what I'm calling about. Could you stop by for me? You see, I'm without a car tonight. But I thought you just got one. Yes, I got a brand new car. One of those 1947 Studebakers. But I left it at the service station. I won't get it back for three weeks. Why is it taking so long? I decided to have them wash the windows. <laughs> oh, all right, Rudy. I'll pick you up at 8.30. Oh, Rudy. What is it, Eve, dear? I don't like to be forward, Rudy, but I'm wearing my new strapless evening gown, and I thought if you'd get me something to wear on my shoulder. A strapless evening gown? Mm -hmm. Something for your shoulder? Mm -hmm. I have just a thing. You have? Yes, a pair of old suspenders. <clears throat> See you later. Philip Morris today is America's finest cigarette. That's because Philip Morris tastes outstandingly better. So clean, so fresh, so pure. So much milder, smoother to smoke. Yes, the flavor's all yours when you smoke Philip Morris. The full, rich, natural flavor of the world's finest tobaccos... Yours to enjoy fully, completely, in every Philip Morris you smoke. And something more, something of vital importance to every man and woman who smokes. Listen. In Philip Morris and only Philip Morris, there's an exclusive difference in manufacture that distinguishes Philip Morris from all other leading cigarettes. This exclusive difference in Philip Morris is recognized by eminent medical authorities as being to the advantage of those who smoke. No other cigarette can make that statement. No wonder that day in, day out, more and more smokers all over the country call for Philip Morris. They know that it's always better, better always, to smoke America's finest cigarette, Philip Morris. Oh, Matilda! Matilda! Where is that maid? Matilda. Oh, yes, Miss Arden. I'm due at Mr. Valley's house in 15 minutes. Hand me some perfume, Matilda. I want something that's surefire for tonight. Oh, let me see. Oh, yes, here's an intoxicating perfume that's guaranteed to attract men. Chanel number no. 5. Oh, no, no, Matilda. I want something that really brings out the wolf in a man. I'll use this bottle over here. What's it called? Mm -hmm. Number 6. <laughs> 
Now, begging your pardon, Miss Arden, but you're sure going to a lot of trouble to make yourself attractive to that Mr. Valley. Well, confidentially, Matilda, my plan is to get Rudy to take me to Ciro's so that I can meet that new French heartthrob, Charles Trenet. Oh, that man really sends me. Uh, doesn't Mr. Valley send you? Yes, but it's a much shorter trip. <laughs> but, ma'am, uh, just between us girls, do you think those French lovers are all they're cracked up to be? Are you kidding? Why, Matilda, you don't know what love means until you've been kissed by Chevalier, Pierre Aumont, Charles Boyer, or Pat O'Brien. Uh, uh, Pat O'Brien isn't French. Maybe not, but I happen to know he wears Paris garters. Oh, there you are, Miss Arden. You're all dressed and you look perfectly stunning. Oh, yes, and I don't have a page here. Isn't that awful? Uh, well, I'd better, Matilda. Because tonight I'm out to get Charles Trenet. As they say in French, l'amour trenet l'amour. Qu'est-ce que c'est que ça que cela? Vraiment, naturellement, voilà. <laughs> Translation. If, you, if I get you in my car tonight, Charlie, we'll both get our kicks on Route 66. Uh, begging your pardon, Mr. Valley, Miss Arden is due here in the next quarter hour. Yes, Poindexter, so she is. I'd better get going. Oh, very good, sir. Your tub is ready now. Oh, is it time for my bath? Oh, yes, sir. You haven't had one since the last time you appeared on Truth or Consequences. <laughs> Another remark like that, Poindexter, and as your punishment, I shall declare the upstairs maid out of bounds. <laughs> now, hand me my suit. Uh, very good, sir. Is this the one you'll be wearing? I think it is. There, how do I look? Oh, magnificent, sir. Only your shoulders seem to be a bit heavily padded. They bulge up to your ears. Hmm, so they do. You know, I think I'd better start putting some of this money in the bank. If I may say so, sir, Miss Arden is a very attractive woman. I'd like to give you a bit of advice. A bit of advice? What is it? Well, if I were you, I wouldn't take Miss Arden to Ciro's, if I were you. Not take her to Ciro's? Why not? I take it you've not heard of Charles Trenet. What's a Charles Trenet? Yes, why, he's the famous French singer performing there, and I warn you, he's tremendously attractive. Why, he has all the beautiful women in Hollywood. Poof! What has he got that I haven't got? All the beautiful women in Hollywood. <laughs> Never mind, Poindexter. You may take the evening off. Uh, thank you, sir. Good night. Good night, good night, good night. Mm. Ah, an evening alone with the lovely Eve Arden. What a heavenly setting. Ridiculous to even imagine that after a few moments alone with me, she would even think of going to Ciro's to see a Parisian troubadour. Ah, Ah, it is her. Oh, 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 I guess I'm more excited than I thought. It, it is she. <clears throat> Eve Arden, welcome to my humble abode. Hello, Rudy. My, but your place looks attractive. Well, I did the best I could. A romantic fire glows in the fireplace. Your favorite wine is ready to be served. The lights are low. And I, I am at your side. What more could you ask for? Let's go to Ciro's. <laughs> Ciro's, don't be silly. One must have a reservation. It would be impossible to get into Ciro's tonight. Well, all you have to do is slip the head waiter $5. That's what I said. It would be impossible to get into Ciro's tonight. 
Oh, Eve, dear, let's discuss that later. Let me take your coat. Thank you, Rudy. My, what a magnificent gown. The new short skirt, backless and strapless. You couldn't have worn anything more fitting. Really? Yes. Remember, I haven't been seeing much of you lately. <laughs> well, Eve, haven't you anything to say to me? Yeah, how have you been, Rudy? Well, I'll tell you, Eve. About two weeks ago, while playing tennis, I pulled a muscle in my shoulder. I got over that, then I was bothered with a headache. Then just last night, I thought I had the makings of a cold. So before I went to bed, I drank a steaming hot lemonade, got up in the middle of the night, took a few aspirins, and this morning when I got up, I was feeling fine. I was a sucker to ask him. <laughs> I should have waited till it came out in Reader's Digest. Oh, but Eve, darling, let's not pretend any longer. We were meant for each other. After all, am I not a man? Aren't you a woman? Rudy, are you making love or taking a gallop pole? Oh, darling, you must stop toying with my affection. You must believe me. I love you as Romeo loved Juliet, as Dante loved Beatrice. Yes, even more. Really? Yes, even more than Kaiser loves Fraser. Mm. <laughs> you must believe that I am yours to command. Anything you want, I am ready to fulfill your any desire. I want to go to Ciro's. Blast it all. I shall do as you bid. You shall see the precious Charles name. And as they say in France, eh bien, vraiment, voilà un... Let's go. Oh, just think. In a few moments, I'll be seeing Charles Trenet. Pardon me. I think I'll turn on the radio. And now we have the pleasure of bringing to you, fresh from his triumphs in Paris, New York, and Zeros in Hollywood, a charming French gentleman and a superb singer of songs, Monsieur Charles Trenet. Thank you. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. When I was a little boy in Paris, I always dreamed of coming to Hollywood someday and meeting all the big movie stars. And now, my dream has come true. I would like to sing for you a song I have requested you many times. Boom. <laughs> La pendule fait tic-tac, tic-tic, les oiseaux du lac pic-pac, pic-pic, glou-glou-glou font tous les dindons, et la jolie cloche ding-ding-ding, mais boum, quand notre cœur fait boum, tout avec lui dit boum, et c'est l'amour qui s'éveille. Boum, il chante Loving Blue, au rythme de ce boum qui redit boum à l'oreille. Tout a changé depuis hier et la rue a des yeux qui regardent aux fenêtres. Il y a du lilas et il y a des mains tendues sur la mer, le soleil va paraître. Boum, l'astre du jour fait boum. Tout avec lui dit boum, quand notre cœur fait boum boum. Le vent dans les bois fait boum boum boum. La bichose à bois fait. La vaisselle cassée fait fric fric frac. Et les pieds mouillés font flic flic flac. Mais boum. Quand notre cœur fait boum, tout avec lui dit boum, l'oiseau dit boum, c'est l'orage. Boum, l'éclair qui lui fait boum, et le bon Dieu du boum, dans son fauteuil de nuage. Car mon amour est plus vif que l'éclair, plus léger qu'un oiseau qu'une abeille. 
Et s'il fait boum, s'il se met en colère, il entraîne avec lui ses merveilles. Ah, le monde entier fait boum. Tout avec lui dit boum, quand notre cœur fait boum, boum, boum. Je n'entends du boum, boum, ça fait toujours boum, boum, boum. Allez, boum And now, his little song, I will try to sing for you in English. I don't know why. I don't know why I love you like I do. I don't know why, I just do. I don't know why, you thrill me like you do. I don't know why, you just do. You never seem to want my romancing. The only time you hold me is when we dance. I don't know why I love you like I do I don't know why I just do And I'm repeating I don't know why I just do This time, next time, any time You buy cigarettes, remember Of all the leading cigarettes, Philip Morris and only Philip Morris give you these two important benefits. One, flavor. The rich, full, natural flavor of the world's finest tobaccos. Clean, fresh, pure. And two, the protection of an exclusive difference in manufacture recognized by eminent medical authorities as being to the advantage of those who smoke. Try Philip Morris. You, too, will agree that Philip Morris today is America's finest cigarette. Always better, better, always. Well, here we are at your precious Ciro's. Good evening, sir. Would you please park Miss Arden's car? I most certainly would. And may I compliment you, miss, on how spick and span you keep your car? Oh, thank you so much. Uh, if it isn't a trade secret, would you mind telling me how you ever do it? Not at all. You see, I use an Elizabeth Arden base, a Cody foundation, and a Helena Rubenstein cream on my chassis. Who scrapes your carbon? Max Factor? <laughs> well, here's a check for the car, Mr. Valley. Uh, just a moment. Here's a little gratuity for yourself. Oh, thank you, sir. Rudy, can I believe my eyes? Did you give that boy a tip? I certainly did. It so happens that a fan of mine in India sent me three rupees, and I've been wondering what to do with them. <laughs> well, no wonder he parked the car facing the east and called you Sahib. Ah, good evening, Monsieur Valley. I have a ringside table for you. This way, please. Thank you, Pierre. Uh, how is this, Monsieur Valley? Fine, but I think I prefer that table over there. But, Rudy, that table isn't ringside. I know, but it still has a sandwich on it. <laughs> well, I'm not hungry. But I am. Cigarette? Cigarette? 
cigarettes. Oh, miss? Yes, sir? Have you any Philip Morris cigarettes? Yes, do you want some? No, thanks, just checking. Rudy, Rudy? Edie, what's the matter? You're pale, you're... There he is, that man, that Charles Trenet. And now, ladies and gentlemen, once again, we bring you the pride of Paris, Monsieur Charles Trenet. Thank you. When I was a little boy in Paris, I'll always dream of coming to Hollywood someday and meeting all the big movie stars. And now, my dream has come true. I would like to sing for you another one of my own compositions, Fleur Bleu, Blue Flowers. Un doux parfum qu'on respire, c'est Fleur Bleu. Un regard qui vous attire, c'est Fleur Bleu. Des mots difficiles à dire, c'est fleur bleue, c'est fleur bleue, c'est fleur bleue. Un rendez-vous en automne, c'est fleur bleue. Une chanson qu'on fredonne, c'est fleur bleue. Un jeune amour qui se donne, de grands yeux qui s'abandonnent, c'est fleur bleue. On envoie des pneumatiques à fleur bleue. Les dimanches sont poétiques, tout fleur bleue. On se met du cosmétique dans les cheveux. Oui, par bleu, pour fleurs bleues, on jure que l'on s'adore tous les deux. Et l'on jurerait encore si fleurs bleues. Ne vous plaquez ça, c'est vache, pour un dragon à moustache à mort bleu. Elle n'est pas revenue mystérieuse. Oui, a jamais disparu sans adieu. Et je suis seul dans la rue, larmes aux yeux, larmes aux yeux, larmes aux yeux. Pourtant, ne soyons pas tristes pour fleurs bleues. J'en ai là toute une liste, c'est bien vieux. Amourette passagère, à peine de cœur légère. Oui, fleurs bleues. Un tout parfum qu'on respire, c'est fleurs bleues. Un regard qui vous attire, c'est fleurs bleues. Des mots difficiles à dire, c'est fleurs bleues. C'est fleurs bleues, c'est fleurs bleues. Un rendez-vous en automne, c'est fleurs bleues. Une chanson qu'on fredonne, c'est fleurs bleues. Un jeune amour qui se donne, ce bon Dieu qui s'abandonne, c'est fleurs bleues. Oh, Rudy, that man. Did you see that beautiful man? Eve, get hold of yourself. You're shaking all over. I am not shaking. I just happen to have good rhythm. Oh, Rudy, you must ask that man over to this table. That is the last straw. I'll do no such thing. You came here with me, and I refuse to be made a laughingstock. Eve, this is final. Charles Trenet will not sit at this table tonight. But after all, Rudy, he's the star of the show. He works here. Maybe he'll pay the check. Well? Hey, Charlie! <laughs> When I was a little boy in Paris... Boy, is he in a rut. Uh, may I introduce myself? I'm Rudy Valley. Oh, you? You are Rudy Valley? Yes. The great Rudy Valley? No other. <clears throat> I have always admired you. I know all about you. How you use a megaphone, play the saxophone, and how you sing through your nose. <laughs> yes, but I've no longer got the megaphone or the saxophone. Oh, what a pity. Don't worry, I'm still doing pretty well. He was smart enough to hang on to the nose. 
I beg your pardon, but I have not had the pleasure. Oh, yes, Monsieur Trenet. I want you to meet... And about time, too. Mademoiselle Arden. Oh, Mademoiselle. I kiss your hand. What? Are you giving me your elbow? Well, I figured it was a step in the right direction. Mmm, <laughs> you have such beautiful wavy hair. Gee, thanks. Not you. I mean, Mr. Valet. Oh. Oh, gee, thanks. Mr. Valley, I have heard many stories of what a great man you are with the ladies. Tell me, it is true? Well, modesty forbids me saying much about it, but I must admit that women throw themselves at my feet. Why not? It's the first time they've ever seen high-button shoes. <laughs> oh, uh, Monsieur Trenet, Charles, there's something I want to tell you. When you sing those French songs, they do something to me. I can't resist you. That does it, Eve, that does it. If you're falling for this man merely because of his ability to sing in French, I will prove to you that I can do better. A drum roll, please. Thank you. When I was a little boy up in Maine, <laughs> I used to sing a French-Canadian song called Alouette. Tonight I will sing it in English. I'm going to ask all of you here to join in with the musical answers. Thank you. Alouette, gentle alouette Alouette, you're a pretty thing How I like your lovely hair How I like your lovely hair Lovely hair Lovely hair Alouette Alouette Oh, alouette, gentle alouette Alouette, you're a pretty thing How I like your beautiful eyes How I like your beautiful eyes Beautiful eyes Beautiful eyes Gorgeous hair Gorgeous hair Alouette Alouette Oh, Alouette, gentle alouette, alouette, you're a pretty thing. How I like your shapely nose. How I like your shapely nose. Shapely nose. Gorgeous eyes. Lovely hair. Alouette. Alouette. Oh, alouette, gentle alouette, alouette, you're a pretty thing. How I like your luscious mouth. How I like your luscious mouth. Luscious mouth. Luscious mouth. Shapely nose. Shapely nose. Beautiful eyes. Beautiful eyes. Gorgeous hair. Gorgeous hair. Alouette. Alouette. Oh, alouette, gentle alouette. Alouette, you're a pretty thing. How I like your pointed chin. How I like your pointed chin. Double chin. Double chin. You bangy mouth. You bangy mouth. Broken nose. Broken nose. Three green eyes. Three green eyes. Gorgeous hair. Hey, Alouette. Alouette. Philip Morris. Philip Morris. Oh, everybody. Gentle Alouette. Alouette. Let's have one more. Alouette. Gentle Alouette. I sang a French song in English, and I did it just for you. How did you like it? Well, I hate to tell you this, Rudy, but while you were gone, I changed my mind about French singing. I have found a new type of singing that makes me swoon. A new type of singing? What do you mean? Charles, please demonstrate. My time is your time. Your time is my time. Gracious to Betsy, I've been scuttled. <laughs>
night song again to you. It's time to say another so long again to you. Yes, it's time to say goodnight again. But before so doing, I'd like to thank Eve Arden and Monsieur Charles Trenet for being with us tonight. Good, look, good luck to you, Mr. Trenet, in San Francisco and in your tour to South America. We hope you'll all have the dial tuned this way next week when we welcome my old colleague, Edgar Bergen, and the irrepressible Charlie McCarthy to our microphone, along with Pat Patrick and his great character, Ursel Twing. So until then, this is Rudy Valley saying au revoir and good night. <laughs> again, ready to serve you with Philip Morris, America's finest cigarette. Look for me at counters all over the country. I'll be waiting for you. Come in and call for Philip Morris. And remember, the flavor's all yours when you call for Philip Morris. Always clean, fresh, pure. That's why Philip Morris today is America's finest cigarette. So goodbye, Johnny. See you next week. Until then, this is Frank Graham inviting you to join Rudy Valley again next week when he will present Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy with Pat Patrick as Ursel Twing and Benny Kruger's orchestra and chorus. Eve Arden appeared through the courtesy of the Seal Test Village Store. Daylight saving time ends in certain areas at midnight, September 28th. Please check your local newspaper for the time at which Rudy Valley will be heard next week and each week thereafter. This is NBC, the National Broadcasting Company. That was the Rudy Valley Show as uh, first broadcast September 24th, 1946. And of course, his guest was Eve Arden. Next up, we have an episode of You Bet Your Life, which was, of course, Groucho Marx's vehicle for many years, both on radio and television. It always surprises me that his radio show was still on in the very late 50s. In fact, the episode we're going to listen to tonight was first broadcast May 12, 1958. Now, oftentimes, Groucho would have celebrities come on and just play almost as though they weren't celebrities. I can remember on television seeing a Doodles Weaver one time. And, and if I'm not mistaken, and I, I could be, but I, I, it seems like uh, Frankie Fontaine was on one time on television. Well, wh- who you're going to hear tonight is Candace Bergen. But remember, this is 1958, so Candace Bergen was, uh, was just a young girl. And uh, it it's, makes for an interesting interview. So here we go. You Bet Your Life from May the 12th, 1958. Ladies and gentlemen, the secret word for tonight is table. T-A-B-L-E. Really? You Bet Your Life. The National Broadcasting Company presents Groucho Marx in You Bet Your Life, the comedy quiz show transcribed from Hollywood. And here he is, the one, the only... (laughs) 
Well, here I am again with a chance for each of our couples to win up to $10,000. And if any of them say the secret word, they'll win an extra $100. George, who's first? Roger, we have Gladys Bentley and Onyag. You have Gladys Bentley? We have Gladys Bentley. Since when am I your partner? <laughs> Miss Bentley is waiting outside, let's put it that way. And uh, her partner is Onyago Ucano. And they're waiting to talk to you, and uh, I'm sure if we play our cards right, they'll come in. Uh... <laughs> Welcome to your bet your life. Welcome to your bet your life. Say the secret word, and you divide an extra $100. It's a common word, something you'll find around the house. Gladys Bentley and, uh, let's see, uh, Anna Gugu uh, Okawana. Is that right? That's Anyogu Elekwachi Okano. Oh, and what do you got an Irish name on the end there for Okano? <laughs> I think Irishmen borrowed their Okano from Africa. Oh. <laughs> Does your name have any translation? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm... nice talking German. <laughs> <laughs> See, Anyogu means a fighter, and uh, Elekwachi means no procrastination, no waste of time, you know. And Okano, a public speaker. Well, that clears that up pretty well, huh? Now, what part of Nebraska are you from, Anna Gugu? Well, I was born at Ibere in Nigeria. From there, I moved to Aba. Could you tell us something about Nigeria? Is that the way you pronounce it? Yeah, Nigeria. Nigeria. It's, it's just over the border from Guatemala, isn't it? You mean Nicaragua. Uh, Nicaragua? Uh, you, you, you might be thinking of Nicaragua. It's a country on the west coast of Africa, oh. uh, having a population of about, oh, 35 million people. 35 million people? And I tell you, the size of Nigeria is twice of that of Texas. <laughs> Nothing is twice as big as Texas. <laughs> well, could you describe your home life or something briefly? Yeah. Um, my father has about four wives. Four wives? One for each season? Is that... Uh... Well, not bad. <laughs> and um, many children and servants running around the place, you see. You say your father has four? Is that the legal limit for? Well, in Nigeria, you can have up to seven. Up to seven. Which do you prefer, your way with seven wives or our way with one wife? <laughs> well, I think it's just the same thing all over. Really? Uh, in Nigeria, we marry seven at a time, and over here you marry seven one at a time. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you see, uh, over here, the entire nation has been brought up on the installment plan. <laughs> the national motto here is buy now, pay later. <laughs> I'll get back to you in a minute, uh, Mr. Okano, huh? That's right, Okano. 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 Oh, that's right. And you're Gladys uh, Bentley, is that right? Yes. I'm sorry to have neglected you, Gladys, but it isn't often we get a charming lad from Guatemala. Right. <laughs> now, where are you from, Glad? I'm from Port of Spain, Trinidad. Oh, really? Huh? When I was 13, I came away from there to Philadelphia to join my mother and father in Philadelphia. You went from Trinidad to Philadelphia to enjoy your mother and father? That's right. Didn't you enjoy them in Trinidad? Well, I joined them there. Oh, you joined them there? Mm -hmm. Were they coming apart? No, not quite. <laughs> so what did you do in Philly uh, that you couldn't do in Trinidad? Well, I, f I finished uh, journalism in school. I wrote quite a lot of, been writing fiction ever since. Is that so? Mm -hmm. do, you, do you have a job, Gladys? Yes, I'm an entertainer. I sing and play for a living in nightclubs all over the country. 
Oh, you're well, the Gladys Bentley, well. You're the Gladys Bentley. Yeah, I thought your name sounded vaguely familiar. Haven't you put on a little weight in recent years? Well, I took off 130 pounds this year. You took off 130 pounds? That's right. And uh, what did you weigh then? 335. And now you weigh? Uh, Two four. You say you lost 130 pounds. Mm -hmm. huh? Well, you see, there is something bigger than Texas. <laughs> <laughs> How about hobbies, Gladys? Uh, do you have any hobbies? Yes, I build miniature doll houses, and I also swim. I swim. On 37, I did the Catalina Channel here. I, you swam the channel? Yeah, twenty-five hundred dollars. Catalina Channel? Mm -hmm. I tried that once, but it was foggy, and I missed Catalina Island. <laughs> That's true, and I wound up in Alcatraz. <laughs> well, that Catalina Island swim, that's one of the toughest swims there is, wasn't it? Uh, pretty cold? I like ice cold water. You know? I take about four cold showers a day. Cold? No mm -hmm. warm water? Ice cold. I like real cold water. I'm not the polar club back in the east. Oh, you take four cold showers every day? Mm -hmm. Look, if you'd stop using all that water, California could be independent of the Colorado River. <laughs> well, you're certainly an interesting and unusual couple, and I'd like to continue talking, but the time has come for you to win some money. So let's play You Bet Your Life. Now, you selected folk tones, uh, folk tunes and old-time favorites. <coughs> the orchestra will play the tune. You tell me the name. If you miss two in a row, you're out. If you get four in a row right, you win $1,000. Remember your partners and talk it all before you answer. What is the name of this old favorite? Play it, Jack. Alouette. Alouette? Right. You have one right now. Now, uh, what is the name of this familiar old song? Sophie Tucker's father. It's old Dan Tucker. Oh, would be. <laughs> All right. You're not out yet. You have one wrong, but don't get the next one wrong or you will be out of the game. This next one is a folk song, but not too long ago it wound up on the hit parade. You tell me the name. Smoky? That's right. right, on top of Smoky. Now you're back in the game with one right. Had me worried there for a minute. This is not yeah. in my line, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Barbershop quartets like to sing this next one. You name it. My Bonnie lies over a bar room. That's right. <laughs> now have two right. All right, give me the title of this one, Jack. Texas. Here's another traditional song. Play it, boys. Uh, 
out here now and meet you. They're uh, Candy Bergen and Melinda Mark. So girls, come out and see Groucho, please. Candy Bergen and Melinda Marks. Now, which one is Candy Bergen? I'm Candy Bergen. Oh, and you must be Melinda Marks, huh? Well, what do you know? I never heard of either one of them. Girls, <laughs> if you say the secret word, you know, you split $100 with me. It's a common way of something you find around the house. Candy, it's nice to see you. Thank You're you. a beautiful girl. And so are you. Now, I know all about you, but I'm sure our listeners don't. So would you tell the audience what your father does and well, who he is? He's not doing anything right now. <laughs> well, you know, there's five million people out of work. He may get a job soon. Uh, who is he? What is your father's name? Edgar Bergen. Your father is Edgar Bergen, the Swedish Nightingale? Yeah. Hmm. Well, then your brothers must be Charlie McCarthy and Mortimer Snyder. Huh? That's right. Melinda, if, if I'm correct now, correct me if I'm wrong, you're 15 years old, is that right? Daddy, you know I'm 11 and a half. How old are you, Candy? I'm 11 and a half. Copycat. I was at you're both the same age, and your father is Edgar Bergen, and Melinda's father is Groucho Marx. Well, that's life, I guess. Well, what are your favorite TV shows, Candy? Oh, I like science fiction theater, Gunsmoke, Wider, Cheyenne, Bachelor Father, Danny Thomas, and a lot of others. <laughs> I didn't even come in seventh on that list. <laughs> it's lucky she's not the Nielsen. Melinda, who are your favorite comedians? In other words, who are the funniest people you know? Well, I think you're the funniest of them all, but I like Richard Goldstone. I think he's very funny, and Topper Wittenberg. Topper Wittenberg and Richard Goldstone? Are there some new comics on TV that I never heard of? What program are they on? Well, they're not on any program. They're in our class at school. Well, that explains it. I can't compete with them. I'm just not in their class. They're in the sixth grade, and I never got further than the third. <laughs> well, it's been a lot of fun talking to you girls, and I hope we meet again someday. <laughs> but now we're going to play You Bet Your Life. Now, this is the reason Candy and Melinda are on the show tonight. They've been after me for a long time to give them a chance to win some money for the Girl Scouts. And just to make sure they win some money, I'm going to ask George Fenneman, who also has seven kids of his own, <laughs> I'm going to let him ask the questions, and I'll join the girls in the quiz. 
Are you ready, George? Yes, I am, Groucho. Uh, may I offer you my seat? Oh, all right. I uh, may need it later, but... Uh, I think I'm going to enjoy this because we have a little surprise for you, Groucho. You have, eh? Yes, we're not going to use the category you studied. <laughs> As a matter of fact... I've been double-crossed. <laughs> when you hear the rest... We, uh, we went to the Beverly Hills uh, school superintendent and uh, together with these people, we prepared a test taken from the sixth grade. In other words, questions that any sixth grader can answer. And I have them right here. I don't know how long well, I have my moment, job. I only went to the third grade. I can't answer these questions. <laughs> you need any help, you think? <laughs> Your father is out here, isn't he? Yes, he is. Edgar. <laughs> Edgar Bragan. Yeah. <laughs> Edgar, what class did you go to in school? What class? I mean, how high did you go? Well, when I got into college, I had a little trouble there. I was in summer school most of the time to get reinstated for the fall term. You went as far as college? Yeah. Well, I'll let you handle this by yourself. <laughs> are you ready? Are you set? Are, are you ready? Yeah. All right, here's number one. Are you ready? Go ahead, Candy. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> you. Are you ready? And here's the question. Okay. The Egyptians invented a means of writing by picture. What is it called? Now, which Egyptians are these? Why don't you... <laughs> are these the old Egyptians? Why don't you talk it over yeah. among yourselves there? Let's talk it over. What are you going to lay it on? <laughs> Would you mind repeating the question? <laughs> the Egyptians invented a means of writing by picture. What? is this means of writing called? Well, I mean, which company was it? Was it MGM or Paramount? <laughs> no, this is historical Egyptians. They wrote by pictures? Well, they ought to be ashamed of themselves. You got any answer to this problem? Yeah, I think it's over. Huh? Well, tell me. You got it, have you? Yeah. So what is it? Uh, hieroglyphics? That's right, yeah. you have one right. Three more right. I was going to say papyrus. Is that, would that be right? Well, that's, that's, what, that's what they wrote on, isn't it? Yes, what? You want they them? wrote on hieroglyphics? <laughs> How about question two? Would you settle for that? Well, I'm not satisfied with question one, but let's go ahead. <laughs> this is the attitude you're going to assume. Yeah. Uh, who was the king of Babylonia, famous for his code of law? Babylonia? Isn't that what hangs in a delicate mess? No, no. <laughs> what is it? All right, guys. <laughs> you're late. Yep. All right. <laughs> I wish I'd brought him tonight. <laughs> Can't you call him? I brought Mortimer, I think. <laughs> well, now, what, what was the question? I've even forgotten it. Uh, yeah. Who Tell was the... about hieroglyphics. No, no, that, you've already gotten that. Who was the great king of Babylonia, famous for his code of laws? Yeah. Don't look at me. <laughs> yeah. Was it Jerry Geisler? <laughs> I'm sorry, uh... The answer was Hammurabi. Oh. Oh. Hammurabi? Hammurabi. Hammurabi. Yeah, you knew you him. should have known that. You went to college. <laughs> I haven't read the paper for three days either. <laughs> All right, now we have one wrong. Don't get the next one wrong or you're out of the game. And here's the next question. Well, now that we know the answer, can we have that same question over again? <laughs> what are the mountains that separate France from Spain? Uh, the Pyrenees. Say it. You, you've got it. It's P-Y-N-E-E or something like that. Well, you know what it is. Yeah, you said it. Say it again. P-N-E-E. That's right. Yeah. You have one right. What do you call 
the imaginary lines which circle the globe parallel to the equator. The Maginot line. Um, no. The Wash line. Yes. Now, wait a minute. Which one? Kids. Go this way? The ones that, that no, uh, parallel. parallel to the equator. Oh, latitude. <laughs> well, you're right. You now have two right. Uh, what, uh, what was the former... This is an easy one, will you? This is easy. What was the former name of Istanbul? What is it? the farmer's name in Istanbul? You got a little Constant. friend working over Constant. here, you know. Constantinople. You're right, oh. Constantinople. Now we have free rights. Free rights. You'll almost have your thousand dollars if you get this next one right. Thousand dollars? Yes, you'll have it. Gee, you, you want to play the game with me here? <laughs> how, how many degrees in a circle? Um, uh, 360. No. That's you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Four in a row. So, uh, you've gotten four in a row and you got $1,000 for the Girl Scouts, haven't you? And would you please take your chair back <laughs> now? Thanks, Edgar. Thanks, Scott. We'll find out if any of our contestants will try for $10,000 in just a moment. Groucho, here are Gladys Bentley and her partner to give us their decision on the big question. Now, you want $1,000. If you decide to try for the 10 and you fail, you wind up with a total of 500 Now, what are you going to do? I don't want to part that wheel. You want to try the wheel? I don't want no part of that wheel. You don't want any part of that no wheel. Part of <laughs> and uh, Mr. O'Connor, what is your plan? Uh, Gretchen, I just come to say goodbye. I, you know, I like to see you. Congratulations for winning the thousand, and thanks for being on the show. You bet you'll well, like Thank you very you. much. Bet Your Life is transcribed in Hollywood. Produced by John Goodell. Directed by Robert Dwan and Bernie Smith. Music by Jack Meekin. It's the Groucho Marx Show, You Bet Your Life. That one was uh, broadcast on NBC May the 12th, 1958. Coming up next, and to finish things off tonight, is an episode of the Sears Radio Theater, which was an effort to bring old-time radio drama, comedy, westerns, and so forth, back to the airwaves. And it was semi-successful. Obviously, it didn't catch on to the point that everyone started doing it. But it did last for a while uh, under a few different names. But mostly we think of it as the Sears Radio Theater. The, the presentation you're going to listen to tonight was from April 23rd, 1979. It's a Western. And every time they had a Western, it was hosted by Lorne Green. This one is entitled Abilene. And you'll notice some very uh, familiar radio voices that have come back after about uh, 15 years of old-time radio silence. And the star of this one is John Daner, and you'll hear Parley Bear. Well, just a number. Uh, Barney Phillips is in this one. Just a number of uh, familiar voices uh, from the past. Before I play this, let me just mention, um, 
this one, I believe it's without commercials. I did not cut the commercials out, so I'm not sure how well uh, they were edited out. Uh, when I downloaded this one, or actually, I think this was in a package of shows that I purchased, the commercials were not in it, which is fine with me. But I haven't listened to this in about a year. Like I said, with these uh, grab bag shows, a lot of times I just don't have time to listen to them right before I play them because I try to put together a two-hour show. So if uh, hopefully this, this sounds okay without the commercials. Sears really put a lot of commercials in these shows, so it's, it's nice to have them out. So here's the Sears Radio Theater and their presentation of Abilene. That's the theme from the Sears Radio Theater. Tonight, a story of the West with Lorne Green as your host. Here's a preview. This town stinks of cattle. They say you get used to There's it. There's too many people and ain't healthy. Could be. I suppose you intend to march right into this bullhead saloon. Could be. It won't be no worse than 100 to 1. The Sears Radio Theater will begin after this message from your local station. This is Lorne Green. In the spring of 1871, the Chisholm Trail was jammed with Texas cattle being driven north to the new Kansas railheads. The East was hungry for beef and willing to pay top dollar. Every Texan who could ride a horse was busy rounding up the vast herds of longhorns that had run wild across the state following the Civil War. Abilene, Kansas, opened the first railhead as soon as the Kansas Pacific tracks were down, thanks to the vision of an enterprising young man named Joseph McCoy. Virtually overnight, the town grew from a stage depot into a boom town. Cattle herds were backed up for miles, waiting shipment, as literally millions of dollars changed hands. And with the herds sold and delivered, the cowboys were paid off and turned loose on the town. The saloons and dance halls and bawdy houses were packed with Texans, gamblers, and drifters. And violence was inevitable. The violence that came with the cattle trade shocked Abilene's respectable citizens. A growing population of farmers and businessmen was determined to see an end to the railhead. They formed a Farmers Protective Association, and in the first meeting, they demanded action of the town's new mayor, Joseph McCoy, one of the men who had founded the cattle trade. Now give the mayor a chance to speak. Uh, well, there'll be a few lynchings if something ain't done about these Texas cowboys. Joe McCoy faced those angry citizens knowing he was close to losing a shipping contract and everything he had struggled to build. He was desperate, but he had one last chance. If he could bring law and order to Abilene, he could still calm the growing opposition. Despite the fact that every marshal he'd hired had either been run out of town or shot to death, he wasn't giving up. After sending inquiries all over the country, he found the sort of man he was looking for. A Civil War hero, 
and an ex-army scout named James Butler Wild Bill Hickok. And that's how we begin our story, which, for the most part, actually happened. Theater, a new adventure in radio listening. Five nights of exceptional entertainment every week. Brought to you in Elliot Lewis' production of The Sears Radio Theater. Our story, Abilene, by Michael Angelella and James Knotts. Our star, John Daner. The Sears Radio Theater is brought to you by Sears Roebuck and Company. Sears, where America shops for value. say right off that all of you have a good cause to be upset. Yes, sir, there's been too many drunken Texas boys firing pistols in the streets, too much fighting in the saloons, and too much general disturbance of the peace. I, I came here to assure everyone that I intend to see law and order maintained in Abilene. Well, what about the bullhead saloon? We had two shootings in that hell house this week alone. They got crooked barrel games in the back room, and anybody complains, they get beat up or shot. Now I intend to see these saloons cleaned up, starting with the bull's head. <laughs> Mr. Philip Coe ain't gonna let nobody clean up the bull's head, and you know it. Yeah, well, you leave that to me. Yeah, you gonna arrest him, Mayor? <laughs> <laughs> Deputy McDonald could run Cole out of town. <laughs> oh, hey, hey, here comes your bookkeeper, Mr. Mayor. He's wearing a gun. Maybe he could help the deputy. <laughs> Excuse me. Oh. What is it? What is it, Charlie? There's a stranger looking for you. He's trouble if ever I see it. I brought a gun. What are you talking about? A tall fellow wearing a buckskin shirt. Looks like an army scout. Got hair down to his shoulders and his two-coat navy stuck right forward in his belt. I'd like to scare the stable boy out of his boots. Bring him here. Here, but I thought... I said bring him here. Look, no need to. That's him coming in the door. I don't like the looks of the fellow with him, either. Gentlemen! I am as concerned as you are about law and order. That's why I have hired a new marshal. Well, these Texans been running marshals out of town past the Hugh Hiram. We buried him. Yeah. Well, more lawmen ain't the answer. We gotta close down the railroad. Get, let them drive their herds to Newton or die. The railhead made this town. Now, just look at the business it brings to Jake's store alone. Well, I could stand for a little less of that kind of business. Cost money to keep putting in new windows. And one of these drunk cowboys shot my dog last week. Whoa, sorry to hear that. We got new farmers moving in every day. 
Farmers are year-round business, and I can do without the cattle trade. Only ones making money off the cattle trade are saloon owners like Co. That's right. You yeah. don't forget the mayor here. He's got the shipping contract. Yeah, cattle trade that built this town. And it's the cattle trade that'll tear it down if we don't do something. Right. I have done something. I've hired a new marshal. Yeah. Those boys will tar and feather him. <laughs> I don't think they'll tar and feather James Butler Hickok. <laughs> well, Bill, heck, he couldn't get reelected sheriff of Hayes City. I heard he left town one step ahead of a lynch mob. <laughs> Cold spit him out like a melon seed. <laughs> well, you can say that to his face. He's standing by the door there. Well, I, I didn't mean nothing. Uh, any comment, Bill? Ain't a mob or anything else ever run me out of town. As for being spit out. Uh, Mr. Hickok, uh, these men are just shooting off steam because of what's happening in this town. Uh, I think the mayor here deserves another chance. We'll find out soon enough if our new marshal can calm things down. Uh, anyone here against giving the mayor and his marshal a fair chance? Good. We're adjourned. was hired to tame Abilene. First off, he set about getting deputies in the only surroundings familiar and comfortable to him. Yeah, the 14 saloons in our little town, Bill. Uh, this one here, the Alamo, is the only one I care to drink in. Glass doors and brass fixtures. <laughs> Just like Kansas City. <laughs> yeah, they even got a three-piece band that plays later on. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you could come, Bill. I'm sorry about that welcome. I'm used to it. This Sam Williams, an old friend of mine, thought I might need a deputy I could depend on. Oh, but I seen you need ten. Sam here keeps me looking on the bright side of things. <laughs> well, uh, there's one other deputy, J.P. McDonald. Any good? Well, afraid he tries to keep out of sight, but... Then someone has to sweep up and keep the paper working. Just what we need. Well, if it was easy, I wouldn't be making you two the highest paid lawmen in the country. Yeah, just what are you paying us? $150 a month to the marshal, $100 for his top deputy, 25% of all fines collected. Make that 50%. Ain't worth the bother for less. Well, uh, well, it's agreed. Yeah, that's... Oh, there's also two bits for every stray dog shot. I didn't come here to shoot no dog. Yeah, well, I, I don't want any shooting if it can be avoided. But but at all costs, we must have law and order. Where do we start? Well, where the trouble is. The Bose Head Saloon. You bring that one under control and the others will follow. What's so special about the Bulls Head? Oh, Bill, they, they run crooked pharaoh and poker games in a small back room. We've had several shootings, a few dozen fights because of it. So I closed down the back room. Well, that would serve notice. There's only one problem. I figured. Yeah, well, uh, Bull's Head is run by a Texan named Cole, first name Phil. He won't like the idea of your closing down his back room. 
He's the one that's going to spit me out like a seed. What do you know about him, Mayor? Well, not much. They say he lost his family in the war. Let a detachment of Texas cavalry refused to surrender. He took a whole lot down to Mexico to fight for Maximilian. Seems he's partial to losing sides. He don't seem partial to surrendering. his problems. They call it progress. Well, you can have it. <laughs> you tired of city life already? I hear Custer signing on scouts to help chase the Cheyenne and Colorado. Now, if we left for Fort Hayes first thing... Forget it. This town stinks of cattle. They say you get used There's to it. There's too many people that ain't healthy. Could be. I suppose you intend to march right into this bullhead saloon. Could be. Won't be no worse than a hundred to one. Don't forget our other deputy. Oh, yeah, that changes everything. We'll take shotguns. I should have known you had it all worked out. I only got one question. What's that? How'd you talk me into this? Good pay, good poker, and the best body houses this side of Kansas City. Oh, I knew there was a reason. It's good pay, Sam. Best I ever made. Were I Wild Bill, I'd be shooting bottles in a circus and making double a pay. <laughs> the hell you would. <laughs> and there's your uh, jail, Marshal. Ain't much, is it? <laughs> Locked. Anyone in there? Open up. Go away. <laughs> Locked out of your own jail. Open the door. <laughs> Get away from that door. Open up before I kick it in. You do, and I'll shoot. It's a shame to get shot breaking in your own jail. <laughs> I'm the new marshal. I don't trick that easily, partner. You, J.P. McDonald? What if I am? Name's Hickok. I just came from McCoy. Wild Bill. Either the mayor's paying your fortune or you're a fool. Uh, no offense. Yeah, pull up a chair. Uh, this is Sam Williams. Oh? How do? Yeah. You got any shotguns? I got two Remington double barrels. What do you got in mind? I've been hearing so much about this fella, Cole. I thought it was time we got acquainted. Well, you ain't going in the bull's head carrying a shotgun. No, sir. Oh, thank heaven. I figured you and Sam would carry the shotguns. Nah. Uh, hold on. Uh, unless you've got other ideas of employment. Our last marshal got himself killed trying to stand up to that bunch. And where were you at the time? Staying alive. Here's the shotguns. How about shells? In the drawer. <laughs> we got enough ammunition here to blast the place to the ground. Y you don't... <sighs> we never get past the door of the bullhead with shotguns. Coast got guards. You got badges? 
It ain't safe to wear a badge on these streets. That's just asking to get shot at. There's a whole box full of badges in the drawer. This is crazy. You in or out? I've been a deputy here for two years. You can't just throw me out. I'll see McCoy. I'll tell In or out? In. And so the three of them set out. J.P., Sam, and Wild Bill. Walking down the main street in Abilene. Right where everyone could see them wearing badges and carrying shotguns. Sounds like folks have a good time around here. We're just asking for trouble wearing these badges and carrying these shotguns. Just keep those barrels down. Yeah, it'd be a shame you blew that farmer out of his wagon, J.P. Weren't my idea. I ain't used one of these scatterguns in five years. You keep waving it around and I'll take back the shells. Uh, Marshal Hickok. What we got here? That's Hank Wilson of the Abilene Chronicle. Hey, hey watch, watch out where you point that shotgun, J.P. Hey, uh, you mind if I ask you a few questions, Marshal? We got business. Oh, so I see. You're off to pull McCoy's fat out of the fire. Something like that. Well, with a stroke of genius on the mayor's part hiring you, with all that's been written about you in the newspapers, you looked on as something right out of James Fenimore Cooper. What's he talking about? Beats me. You're an honest-to-God American hero, Mr. Hickok. Distinguished war service. Amazing exploits against the hostiles. <laughs> you should have seen the show he put on in flat-nosed case last winter. There's just one thing I don't understand. How is it you couldn't get re-elected sheriff of Hayes City last year? I didn't get enough votes. I heard it had something to do with your methods of law enforcement. You killed a number of men in Hayes. I ain't never shot a man that didn't ask for it. After you lost the election, you killed one soldier and seriously wounded another in a barroom brawl. I understand you left town one step ahead of a lynch mob. There was more to it than that. I hear General Sheridan posted a reward on you. That's a lie. You plan to use the same method of law enforcement here? I'll do what I was hired to do. In your case, I've heard it said there's a thin line between lawman and hired killer. I've had enough of your damn fool questions. We got business. So get... You can't order me around. You... You let go of my shirt. I got no time for you, Mr. Wilson. Now get out of my sight. You try that strong-arm stuff with Mr. Coe and see what happens. I can remember when you loved nothing better than to throw the bull at newspaper men. Oh, Marshal, that just ain't no way to treat Hank Wilson. Come on, boys. We got business. That's the bullhead. Never thought I'd see the day I didn't care to visit a saloon. Watch those boys on the porch. Let's go. Hey, Slim! Do I see badges? Hey, looky, boys. The town's hiring of another marshal and deputies. Must not be paying much. Two of them can't afford a barber. <laughs> they look like buffalo hunters and them buckskins. Well, we have to smell them to be sure. Oh, careful now. That's a two-gun marshal. 
Watch yourselves. Now, where'd you think you was going, Marshal? Get out of my way. Pin a badge on a man, and the first thing he does is start giving orders. I ask you to get out of my way. You take your deputies and run along before we... Don't touch the pistols, boy! Now, he only got throat off the porch. The next man gets blowed off. You all right, Slim? Do I look all right? You ain't going to last long, Marshal. You got something in mind? No, not with them shotguns pointing up here. Oh, and here I thought you drovers were dumb as your steers. You go in that saloon. I'm going to enjoy watching you get carried out. Watch out, Marshal. There's a guard that sits inside the door. He's got a scatter gun of his own. I know one thing. Whatever we're making, it ain't enough. Come on. You can't just walk in. I'll take that shotgun. I'll tell you. There's another scattergun for you, J.P. You're in big trouble, mister. You're the one laying on the floor. Well, well, them badges don't mean nothing in here. We all know how to take care of lawmen. You figure he'd talk that tough with a broken jaw, Sam? I'd be curious to find out. Get up. I ain't getting up. Ooh, looks like another smart one here. That's in the back room. Watch the door, J.P. If this one tries to get up, fill his pants with buckshot. I got him. Come on, Sam. Step aside. Step aside. Clear the doorway. Come on, clear the doorway. Come on, get out of there. Looks like one dead Texan there. Yes, sir. He's dead. Two balls through his shirt pocket. All right. Now, somebody... Somebody tell me what happened. This ain't any of your affair. That's right. I asked a question. Youngster here said I cheated. Got nasty about it. Pulled a pistol and I shot him. I suppose you got plenty of witnesses to say it was a fair fight. Everyone saw it. Couldn't be he was right about your cheating. You saying I cheat? I know a slick gambler when I see one. It's in the eyes. What's in the eyes? Uh, a look akin to a weasel's. You know, you ain't always going to have a shotgun backing you up, Marshal. Won't make no difference to you. Why is that? Because you're on the noon train out of here tomorrow. What? You can't do that. Who do you think you are? Name is Hickok. Get out of my way. Now, what's going on in here? Come on in, Phil. Meet our new marshal. McCoy's hired Wild Bill Hickok this time. I don't allow shotguns in here, Hickok. You don't seem to object to shooting. He's trying to run me out of town, Phil. Ain't trying. I'm doing it. Now, hold on. My dealers don't start fights. If they do, they're through here. This one's through now. I don't care who you are. You don't come in here and run off my dealers. Dambler, if you're not on that train tomorrow, I'll come for you. You got my word on it. Do something, Phil. Hickok, any town that takes in a few thousand hard-drinking drovers is bound to have some trouble. That's the way things are. There's been trouble at the Alamo and the Silver Spur and all the others. Good dealers is hard to come by. And I don't intend to have mine run off without cause. From what I hear, you had more than your share of trouble in this back room. Something to do with uh, fixed games, 
I'm told. Oh, oh. Well, all right. You boys playing here. Any complaints? All right, speak up now. Anybody got a complaint about my game? No, Bill Cole's a fair man. Sure, he's all right. The dealer goes. We've had other fancy lawmen through here. There was a Pinkerton man last year. He caught a train back east after two days. Then there was Bear River Tom Smith. (laughs) I was proud to know a man with his kind of guts. They had a real nice funeral for him. The dealer goes. You don't get the idea, do you, Hickok? I've got plenty of ideas. Another one is to close down this back room. What? I'm closing down your back room. That way you won't be needing a new dealer. Ain't it amazing how things work themselves out? You ain't got the right. Sam here is holding all the right I need. Now, everybody out of here. What? This room is closed down. I won't stand for this. You'll stand for it or you'll join your dealer on that train tomorrow. Yeah, well, we'll see about that. I reckon we will. Let's get out of here, Sam. You look a bit peaked, J.P. Oh, I should have known better than get mixed up in this. Go on, let it be. You were good in there, J.P. I was? You were fine. I guess I wasn't that. J.P.'s right about Coe, though. We got him backed into a corner, and he don't strike me as the sort that runs from trouble. We'll find out soon enough. What would you do if you was Coe, Bill? I suppose I'd run me out of town. Well, there's one thing I noticed about Coe. What's that? He reminds me a lot of you. All right, boys. All right, boys. Now, it looks to me like we got a problem. Well, we've handled lawmen before. You handled them real well at the door, Red. And now Hickok was on me before I knowed what happened. I pay you to stay awake. Well, I, I didn't have me a chance, Phil. Now, maybe you'd be more comfortable at the door with a rocking chair and a pillow. Oh, well, now, it won't happen again. If that wasn't enough, Frank here has to go and shoot a drover. He pulled a gun on me. Because you got careless. What do I have to do to get through to you dealers? I want the game dealt straight unless I say otherwise. We can't afford that kind of trouble. He was drunk. I didn't think he'd draw on me. I'm surrounded by idiots. That kind of trouble costs me money. And the next dealer to get into a gunfight is through working for me. Now, here's what we do. Drinks on the house tonight. We'll get these boys fired up with green whiskey and then I'll talk to them. Won't take much to get them riled up enough to run the marshal right out of Abilene. Yeah, not with you leading them, Phil. If we can get enough of a mob after him, I think Hickok will run. They chased him out of Hayes City, I'm told. No reason why we can't do the same here. These are good southern boys, and they got a natural dislike for Yankee marshals. What if he don't run? I'll do what has to be done.
That makes 2,000 head. We're running short of cattle cars. Well, I told those blackheads at the Kansas Pacific that we'd run short of cars by mid-season. Well, what are we going to do? That packing firm in St. Louis expects to ship them to go out tomorrow. Yeah, well, let's send them flat cars in the morning. Flat cars? What good are flat cars? Hire a crew to build sightings. Now get it done first thing. Flat cars? I never... We got herds backed up to Mud Creek. We got to move them. Oh, uh, Mayor... Here comes Jake Burrows, and he don't look pleased. What's Wilson doing with him? Afternoon, Joe. Oh, Jake. Hank. Hey, you heard, you heard about the shooting? Sure. What shooting? Well, there's been another killing at the Bull's Head. That's right, Mayor. And that ain't the worst of it. There's more? You bet there's more. All right, now settle down, Hank. What is it? Well, he's got a right to be riled. Your marshal roughed him up this afternoon. Why? That ain't important. I don't take to being shoved around by the man that's supposed to represent the law in this town. I don't know what your marshal did at the bull's head, but he stared up a mob. There's talk of running him out of town tonight. Oh, my God. Well, there's the chance you asked for. I, I, I don't understand how this could happen. It's the cattle trade, like always. And your new marshal is making things worse. We're calling the association together tonight at the church. I think we'll have enough votes to end the real head. Oh, now, now, hold on. I'll have a special edition of the Chronicle out by tomorrow in support of them. You haven't got the votes. Yes, well, we'll see how many votes they get after my paper comes out. All right, all right. But at least give me a chance to look into this, huh? I'll, I'll fire Hitchcock if need be. You've used up your chances, McCoy. Ain't much of a crowd, Bill. Yeah, I noticed. Here comes JP. He looks as happy as a whip dog. There's a mob brewing at the bull's head. Well, I do believe he's shaking. You better try some of this rye, son. Thanks. We got big trouble. Coe is giving out free drinks to fire the boys up. No wonder this place is empty. You don't suppose Coe'd let us in? This is serious. He means to see you run out tonight. So that's how it is, huh? Ain't anyone running me out. Just don't see no point to it. It's a matter of pride, J.P., Ain't nobody going to run him out of another town. Uh, shut up and drink your rye. J.P., you get to the window and keep an eye on the street. Oh, I don't like it. You see anything out there? Too dark to see much. Now, wait a minute. Here comes McCoy running like someone said fired his breeches. Maybe he wants to give us a raise. Hey, Doc. Hey, Doc. You're fired. I'm what? Fired. You've only been here a few hours. How could you cause so much trouble? Good Lord, man, another shooting? There's nothing I could do about it. Yeah, and you got a mob threatening to tear this town apart. You're the one who asked for law and order. I didn't ask for a war. As I recall, you said to do whatever it took. At all costs. Well, the association is meeting tonight. You've even got the Chronicle swung over to their side. He got... Uh, we can't afford any more trouble. There's something going on at the Bull's Head. The porch cleared off real sudden. Everyone went inside. More free drinks. you got to get out of town. You dealt this hand, Mayor. I'll be seeing it out. Talk some sense into him, Sam. Time for talking has passed. But the two of you can't stand up to a mob alone. Don't forget J.P. over there. Oh, there's got to be a way to stop this. Oh, maybe, yeah. Uh... Yeah, the farmers. What's that? The farmers, they're meeting at the church. 
Well, I don't see what farmers got to do with it. Well, they might help. These Texans won't start trouble if the town backs you up. Even Phil Cole won't stand up to that. What's on your mind? Sam. Sam, get over to the church. Talk to Jake Burris. Tell him we need all the good men he can get. Why don't you go? I'm not letting the marshal out of my sight after what's happened so far. Then what about J.P.? Oh, they wouldn't listen to J.P. <sighs> what do you think, Bill? He's the mayor. All right. I hope you know what you're doing, Mayor. So do I. I'll be back as quick as I can. You watch yourself, Bill. <laughs> Listen here. Listen here. Y'all know we got a new marshal today. And a Yankee marshal at that. He's trying to run Frank out of town. All Frank did was defend himself in a fair fight. Most of you seen him rough up Red at the door, and Red was just doing his job. Hickok's got it in for Southern boys, and he'll run this town like he pleases if we don't put a stop to it. Now, now, I got, I got no quarrel with the law, but I don't intend to let a man make up his own. You with me? Yeah! I'm heading for the Alamo to run this blue belly out of Abilene. This here's a closed meeting, Deputy. We don't allow no shotguns in this church. I've got to see Jake Burroughs. Oh, uh, uh, Jake? Jake Burroughs? Deputy here wants to see you. What is it, Sam? I got to talk to you. We need some help. What's that? It's a mob. The Texans. They're after the marshal, ain't they? And I got to get back. Yeah. Well, cut through the alley by Henderson's store. It's quicker. <laughs> See that shotgun. I'm not firing into that crowd no matter what. They'd hang me. I said to follow me. All right. But I ain't firing. Where's Sam? Let's go. Well, here he is, boy. You looking for me, Cole? Well, we come to see you out of town, Marshal. That'll be the day. Well, you can ride out or get carried out. Don't make no difference to me. And carry me out, you got... What's out here, Cole? Hickok shot Cole. He, he's, he's killed me, Red. Bill. Hold it there. Hold it still, all of you. Next man touches a gun gets a load of buckshot. Now just hold it. There's a man coming out of the alley, Bill. Watch it. He's got a shotgun. You got him. I'll get his scatter gun. Who was that? Oh, my God. Bill, it's Sam. 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 Sam, it it was dark. Don't don't you ever miss. Sam. Sam. He's killed his own deputy. All right, break it up. Get on out of here before I use this. It's all over now. They'll close down the railhead. Shut up, Mayor. What? 
He's killed Sam. Well, close down the railhead. Come on! Get off the street! Come on! What? What? What are you all looking at? Come on! Get! Bullshit. You gotta stop it. Not on your life. What's he doing? Yeah, looks like he's got business with the bullshit. Right, look at him over there. Yep, there he goes. He's crazy. out there? It is. You believe in that? Yeah. Ain't the best morning to be traveling what with the storm. I got a good slicker. Bill, I, uh, I know how you must feel. Shut up, J.P. You take care, Bill. You keep this door locked. Here. Um, be seeing you, J.P. town in Kansas to forsake the riches of the cattle trade to become a quiet farming community. Joe McCoy, with his chance at a fortune gone, he moved on and took a job counting cattle for the United States Census Bureau in Wichita. And what of Wild Bill? Well, his legend was secure. His exploits as an army scout during the Civil War and the Indian campaigns have not tarnished with time. He had served as a lawman in some of the most savage towns of the frontier. Yet, isn't it ironic that the very characteristics for which he was needed, his skill with the revolver and his courage in the face of danger, were the very ones that in the end led to his banishment from civilized towns. Some say Wild Bill's spirit died that day in Abilene. He would create no more legends. He was shot in the back in the squalor of a ramshackle saloon in Deadwood, South Dakota in the summer of 
Abilene was written by Michael Angelella and James Knotts. Produced and directed by Fletcher Markle. Your host was Lorne Green. Our star was John Daner. Also heard were Eddie Firestone, Tom Brown, Howard Culver, Norman Alden, Carly Bear, Jack Carroll, Barney Phillips, and Lynn Berman. The music for Sears Radio Theater was composed and conducted by Nelson Riddle. This is Art Gilmore speaking. The Elliot Lewis production of Sears Radio Theater is a presentation of CBR. Well, there you have it. That was the Sears Radio Theater and their production of Abilene. And that was first broadcast on uh, April the 23rd in going to do it for the old time radio grab bag number 13 we will be back on uh, monday with an old time radio comedy on tuesday or yes a comedy on monday on tuesday we'll have a drama on wednesday we'll have a mystery on thursday we'll have a western tomorrow we'll be releasing an archive show so you can look for that this is bob bro i'm so glad you took the time to spend a little time with us and uh we are glad that uh, we are able to come into your homes or into your cars wherever you happen to listen to us and we always appreciate getting uh, a little response so if you'd like to send an email you can uh, see our address right there on our old time radio uh, website it's bestoldtimeradio.com bestoldtimeradio.com and there you can listen to just about every show we've done now we don't put the archive shows on the website but we do have all the daily shows and the grab bags are about half up and I'll get the rest of them up uh, this week I'll do my best alright everybody so glad you stopped by this is Bob Rowe and I am so glad you met me